Hi, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. You know, as Christians, we're supposed to be serious Bible readers, but we often get confused, uh, we misunderstand, we don't get the big ideas, we get lost in the kind of genres that are in the Bible. And so everybody needs a book by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, and it's an excellent book. This is the third edition, something like a half a million copies have been sold to this book. So it does a great job. It's easy to read, but it tackles things like, let me give you a list of some of the contents, getting a good translation, reading the epistles effectively, uh, dealing with Old Testament narratives, looking at the book of Acts, the Gospels, the parables of Jesus, the law books, the prophets, the Psalms, the wisdom, all those things in the Old Testament. But the thing I want to focus on today is the one that makes people really scratch their heads, and it's looking at John's revelation. And guess what? It's the last chapter in the book. No surprise there. So Fee and Stewart take on the book of Revelation, and they said people get so lost in it. Said they they come to it having read narratives in the Bible and some of Paul's letters and and uh, you know interesting things like that. All of a sudden they got book. A book full of angels and trumpets and earthquakes and beasts and dragons and bottomless pits. Oh, my. And he said people have a difficult time. Some of it's clear. Like at the beginning, John says that he was on the island of Patmos, and he's writing to churches, and everybody goes, okay, got that. That makes sense. But he says it's the symbols that really get people. And it seems to do have to do with the future events. And then you also see that John connects everything in light of the Old Testament. And uh, the authors say that there are something like 250 times that he either cites or he echoes the Old Testament. So we need to know that as well. Of course, they reference the fact that a lot of popular books and pamphlets have been written about Revelation. But he said they rarely really dig into it. They come up with fanciful speculations. He said John could not have intended or understood any of these. So they say if you really want a good introduction to this book as far as how it works as a book, its point of view, and its the way it contributes to the Bible. Richard Bauckham is the author, B-A-U-C-K-H-A-M, Richard Bauckham. He also wrote Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, which is a great book. I'm hoping to get to that one in a future podcast. But Richard Bauckham has a book called The Theology of the Book of Revelation. The Theology of the Book of Revelation. So if you're interested in Revelation, you might go there. But let's finish this chapter here as far as kind of an overview it says Revelation is interesting because it's a blend of three different literary types, apocalypse, prophecy, and letter. Okay, so it says the problem, of course, if you start with apocalypse, it says it's a form that doesn't exist in our own day. So let's look at that one especially, apocalyptic literature. What's going on? Well, in this time period, something around 200 B.C. to around 200 A.D., there were dozens of apocalypses that were well known to Christians and Jews. But where is this coming from? What's, what's going on here? Well, the authors say that you can go back to Old Testament prophetic literature, Ezekiel especially, Daniel, Zechariah, and parts of Isaiah, and they were concerned with coming judgment and salvation. And the apocalyptic literature seems to have been born either in oppression or times of persecution. So its great concern was not God's activity within history. It's looking forward to a time when God would bring a violent, radical end to history 
and that would mean the triumph of good and the final judgment of evil. Okay, so the first thing is you can look for its roots back in the Old Testament prophetic literature. It is a form of literature. It's something that people recognize. It says it has a particular written structure, and they say, look at verse uh, chapter 1, verse 19. John says, write, therefore, what you have seen, whereas the prophets were told to speak. And now John is supposed to write this down. And it says, most frequently, the way you encounter apocalyptic literature is presented in the form of visions and dreams, and the language is cryptic, a bunch of hidden meanings, and it's very symbolic. Okay, so it says um, the images are often fantastic rather than reality. Okay, so uh, unlike other forms of, um, I guess you'd call them non-apocalyptic prophets in Jesus, they would talk about salt or doves or cakes, things like that. But in the apocalypse, you get fantasy. You get beast with seven heads and ten horns. That's in Revelation 13. You get a woman clothed with the sun. That's chapter 12. You get locusts that have scorpions, tails, and human heads. That's in chapter 9. So that's something that we have to get used to. We're going to get out of the literal and get into the fantasy there. And the apocalyptic literature was stylized. It divided time and events into neat packages. There was symbolic use of numbers. And the final product usually has the visions set up in numbered sets. And if you put those sets together, they would express something, maybe judgment. And so it says the revelation of John fits all of these characteristics except one. It's not done anonymously. Much apocalyptic material was done uh, without uh, the author's name being mentioned. But John makes himself known right off. In fact, the first few chapters. So what's going on here? Well, John means this apocalypse to be a prophetic word to the church. And it says in in the in the book, even the seven letters bear this prophetic imprint. So this is God's prophetic word going to some churches in the first century. They were having all sorts of persecutions, but they were also rotting from within. And so he says, make sure you understand that this apocalyptic and prophetic element has a third quality to it too. It's in the form of a letter. So it has all the characteristics of a letter. John uses first person, I am talking to you, things like that. And then it says, with all these epistles, there is an occasional aspect to Revelation. How is it occasioned? Well, by the needs of those specific churches. So just like Paul writes his letters as a response to something going on, John's doing the same thing here. All right, well, so how do you begin to pull apart this? He said, you need to seek... I say he, I keep saying he, sorry, it's they, the two authors, say you need to seek the author's original intent. The primary meaning of the revelation is what John intended it to mean, which should have been something that his readers would have understood. So you have to have a sensitivity as well to the background of ideas, and the chief source for this is the Old Testament. We need to know that, that John is not making up all sorts of new stuff. So he's deriving a lot of this from the Old Testament, but he's also using images from apocalyptic and even ancient mythology. Okay, so all sorts of different kinds of imagery. For example, they make a comparison that these images are kind of like American political cartoons, like a donkey and an elephant, that they're consistent. 
Uh, people see them today and they recognize the donkey and the elephant. He said the same thing in that time period. Like, take the image of the beast coming out of the sea. He said that was a standard image for a world empire, not for an individual ruler. But he said then you've got some images are kind of fluid. you got the lion of the tribe of Judah. turns out to be a lamb. And that's the only lion there is in Revelation. Now, some of the images really do refer to specific things, like the seven lampstands are pretty well identified as the seven churches. In chapter 12, you've got a dragon that seems to be Satan. But it said many of the images are probably general. So they give an example of the four horsemen of chapter 6. They probably don't represent any particular conquest or war or famine death, but just human fallenness as the source of the church's suffering that's going to cause God's judgment. They also say when John interprets his images, these interpreted images have to be held firm and have to serve as a starting point for understanding others. So, for example, the one like a son of man in chapter 1 seems to be Christ, who was dead and is alive forever and ever. you got the golden lampstands, there are the seven churches. So, you've got these images that are definitely interpreted. He says you also need to see the visions as holes and not allegorically press every detail. So some of it's for dramatic effects. So it says something like the sun turning black like sackcloth and the stars falling like figs probably don't mean anything. They're just trying to make the whole vision of an earthquake more impressive. John expects his readers to hear the echoes of the Old Testament in here. It's it's a continuation. In fact, it's the consummation of that story. So he said, he, sorry, they say that if you're going to get into Revelation and really dig into it, you need to be aware of Old Testament echoes because that gives you clues on how John expects you to understand images and pictures. The authors, uh, Fee and Stewart, also say one final note, apocalypses in general and the Revelation in particular seldom intend to give a detailed chronological account of the future. So that's something that goes against all of this modern uh, commentary that we see on Revelation. Everybody's got it all figured out. This happens, and then this happens, and then this king does this, and this area is attacked. And he says, these authors are saying, no, it's rarely going to give you a detailed chronological account of the future. It says it's a bigger issue. John's concern is... Despite what things are going on now, God's in control. And he's in control of history, and he's in control of the church. And even though the church is going to have a lot of suffering, it's going to be triumphant. God will judge his enemies and save his people. So every vision, everything we see in Revelation, the authors say, we have to see it in terms of this greater concern. All right, so maybe at this point I will let this go. Well, shoot, there's some more stuff here. Uh, uh, I'm going to skip ahead here. Uh, the main themes. Okay, so what are the main themes? The church and the state are on a collision course. And unfortunately, it looks like the state appears to win, but then, of course, it comes apart because God's in control. He says, uh, they say another key feature is tribulation is clearly a part of what the church was enduring and was yet to endure. God's wrath, on the other hand, is judgment that's going to be poured out on those that have afflicted God's people. All right, so uh, the, here's a kind of a quick outline of the whole book. Chapters 1 to 3 introduce the characters. Then we get Christ uh, still in chapter 1. Then we get the church in chapters 2 and 3. 
4 and 5 chapters help set the stage. 6 and 7 begin unfolding the actual drama itself. 8 through 11 reveal the content of God's temporal judgments on Rome. In chapter 12, we get the theological key, they say, to the book. In two visions, we're told of Satan's attempt to destroy Christ and his own defeat instead. 13 and 14 show how John's church, this vengeance, took the form of the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire came after the church with its emperors who were demanding religious allegiance. But the empire and the emperors are doomed. We see that in chapters 15 and 16. The book concludes with a tale of two cities, 17 to 22. The city of earth, Rome, is condemned for its part in persecuting God's people. And then we get the city of God, where people of uh, God will dwell eternally. So, is it tough to read? Yeah. So, we should uh, read it hesitantly, but uh, dig into it, but not necessarily buy into how people are interpreting it right now says uh, this book should be a warning and encouragement. And they said, they said at the end of the chapter here, until Christ comes, we live out the future and the already, and we do so by hearing and obeying his word. But there comes a day when such books as this will no longer be needed, for no longer will they teach your neighbors, because they will all know me. That's Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. So this is, a, again, I probably picked the hardest one to give you a, summary of, but excellent chapters here in figuring out the Bible. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I highly recommend it. Thanks for listening and hope to talk to you next time.